Welcome to The Moon in Your Mind with your hosts, Chelsea Winter and Alyssa Ray. We are on a mission to build a community of empowered individuals to stay curious in their work, their relationships, and daily lives. By interviewing experts and uniting astrology and psychology, we will hold the space to connect you to new wisdom, unique stories, and insightful resources for you to cultivate your best human experience. Let's get curious. Hi, everyone. Today, we are talking to Alyssa. We are going to be talking about her experiences and what brought her here to this podcast. So welcome to the show, Alyssa. Yay. So happy to be here. (laughs) So to start, we'll start the way we start every interview is what's your sun, moon and rising? Yeah. So my sun is in Taurus. My moon is in Capricorn and my rising is Aquarius. So Definitely mostly Earth-based baby, but I would love to hear your astrological perspective on all that and just knowing me as a person, kind of how that plays out. Yeah. So for those of you listening, Alyssa, besides her sun, moon, and rising, she also has, just in general, seven planets and her North Node in Earth. So she is an Earth baby. (laughs) But really what this all means is that Alyssa, she's very hardworking, especially with that Taurus and Capricorn, very grounded, very caring about the collective. And having so much Earth is able to really create change for the collective and for individuals that she works with or for herself. And then, you know, she has the Aquarius too, which really helps her be creative, come up with ideas, and then using that earth is able to put them into motion and actually get shit done. Mm-hmm. It's really a great a great balance between the two. Yes. And it reminds me, I don't know too much of human design, but my boss is actually sharing more with me because she's getting mentored by someone in human design right now. And I know I'm a generator and I feel like that collective piece of it falls into that too. So we'll have to explore that on an episode in the future, get someone from human design in. Yes. Yeah. And I know we were talking about this, like when we first started and I'm a projector. So we were talking about like, it makes so much sense that I come (laughs) up with ideas. And then Alyssa is the one who is able to actually get me to do something. So instead of just making to-do lists every day and never doing anything. (laughs) Yes. We're the best yin and yang. It works out so well. (laughs) Seriously. So what was your upbringing in childhood like? Yeah, so I grew up in a pretty small town in Connecticut. It's called Middlebury, Connecticut. We were part of a regional school system. So, you know, the surrounding town, the town next to us, you know, I grew up with them as well. And it was a good, like I had a great childhood, to be honest. My extended family, a lot of them lived close by. I'm one of three children, so I have an older sister and a younger brother. I definitely have the middle child syndrome. My entire family will tell you about that. But yeah, I was a dancer growing up for a really long time, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later too. I played a couple of different sports. You know, I really tried to stay involved in school and whatnot. High school was a great time. I look back on it and love it more than I look back on college and love it. So (laughs) that's always interesting. But yeah, I feel like I just had a a pretty stereotypical suburban Connecticut lifestyle, you know, middle class, nothing like I think the perception of Connecticut is like where it's like super wealthy and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I definitely had a lot of privileges. I can still say that, you know, we, we went on a lot of family vacations to Myrtle Beach growing up and 
you know, we just, my parents did a great job of trying to hone in on the importance of family and, you know, spending time as a family. Sundays were always family days. We would go on hikes or drives. You know, we really tried to support one another and just everything that we had going on. Yeah, that was kind of like the short version of it, I suppose. Yeah, no. And I do feel like just even knowing you and your siblings and, you know, how close you guys are, I feel like it does really still show that even though you're all adults, like you're still so close. And, you know, I think that's something to be cherished these days. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is so lucky to say that. So it's always admirable when you find that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I won't like, we're definitely not perfect for sure. There was a lot of fights growing up and, (laughs) you know, sometimes we still test each other out, but it's funny because the first time my now fiance came around to a family event, we always have to like preface boyfriends or partners of like, just let you know, it gets a little spicy sometimes (laughs) because (laughs) our family it's so loud. Like the, the first like month of dating my now fiance, he was like, your dad is so loud. Like he's always <laughs> shouting and it's like, he will be saying like, I love you, but it sounds like he's mad at you. But that's just like the kind of guy he is. And he's always giving people hugs. Like we are such a loving family, but you know, some people might step into it and be like, what is happening? But yeah. <laughs> it's just because we are so close. So we, we come up and challenge each other and we really hold each other accountable. And I think it's made me learn how to like be resilient in that. And that at the end of the day, even if, you know, you're fighting with your partner, you're fighting with your siblings, like that's still family. They still love you. And I think that's, you know, taken us far. My grandma always said growing up that my parents were a little too strict with us, but it's made us into <laughs> very like structured people. So I can appreciate it now, but yeah, that all that to say, our family does get spicy, but it's all good. Yeah. It's all in love. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, siblings are just like the worst and the best mirrors, I feel like, of your life. I mean, they know every single thing about you and they've been through everything with you. And so sometimes it's like you can't lie to them. You can't pretend this thing didn't happen, like because they were there. They lived it, you know, like it's obviously great in so many ways. But then also sometimes you're like, God, can't you just like let me have this thing. Like, why do you need to bring up this story yes. all the time? Like, <laughs> Yes. Oh, definitely. And we'll, we'll probably eventually bring on all of our siblings at some point, but my sister, especially because we were only two and a half years apart. And then there was six years between my brother and I. So we always say that my younger brother had a whole different childhood than us just because, you know, I was in high school and he was still in elementary school and, you know, my sister was off at college. So it's just mm-hmm. different, but him being the baby of the family, he'll just call it out so quickly and we'll all get so mad at him for calling it out. But then we'll be like, <laughs> oh, you know, though. And then yeah. with my sister, it's very much on mirror. Like her and I were raised, but we always joke that we we're raised as twins and people still to this day will be like, are you two twins? And we're like, no, don't say that. <laughs> two and a half years apart, right? But like, she is one of my biggest mirrors in my life. And you know, we're so similar in so many ways. And again, that brings up tension sometimes, but we've found such a good way of kind of working through it and supporting each other and using what the other one is holding up to help us grow instead of help us fight like we did when we were teenagers. <laughs> yep. And that's on maturity right there. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's on emotional growth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Yep. No, that is, that's awesome though. Yeah. So I guess, you know, moving on from childhood and your siblings, you know, what was 
college-like and especially just knowing you, I know 2013 was a really big year for you. So, you know, do you want to talk about that at all? Yes. So college was, like I said, I look back on it and I have so much appreciation for it. But if I had to think of like the quote unquote best four years of my life, I think about high school, but college was where I really grew um, and had a lot of challenges. So, you know, I got a full ride to Southern Connecticut State University. So I tried it out for a year didn't love it, transferred to UConn, joined a sorority with Chelsea and loved it the first year. Everything went downhill after that. So that was great. (laughs) But yeah, in college, I think, you know, I did have some health issues. I was diagnosed with like a weird heart condition when I was younger, but it didn't really cause issues until I was in college. And I think that was for a couple of different reasons, just the stress, but also I wasn't taking care of my body at all. I was drinking so much. I was not in sports or exercising like I used to in high school. So it just kind of got the best of me. So I started seeing a cardiologist again. And then in the wonderful year of 2013, I got so sick. I'm sure it was from some gross frat basement party or going to like nickel night. <laughs> Ted's. But I ended up getting mono and I got it so bad that I ended up in the hospital twice. I missed all of my finals at the end of that semester. And yeah, I thought I was going to fail out of school. And on top of not just being physically sick, I think it was just a manifestation of my mental and emotional health that I was so depressed and I was so lost and I was so disconnected. And I think, you know, Looking back, I joined a sorority to find connection and I did meet, you know, some people through that experience, such as Chelsea, (laughs) that were able to give me that solid friendship, but there were so many other layers to it too. And I was still so, like I said, disconnected from myself, from my body. And so this mono experience was really that like pause button of like, dude, you got to slow down. Like, this is Mm -hmm. not going to work out. You're slowly killing yourself. Like you switch your major every other semester, you have no direction in life right now. Like the only direction, you know, for sure is like when you're going to have your next drink. Like that was it. So I just remember being sick at home and I was supposed to, and still did go to Vermont for the summer to work at a summer camp for children with Asperger's, which is now known as kind of the autism spectrum. But I remember being at home after I'd come back from the hospital the first time and my sister had Sapphire home to bring me one of Gabby Bernstein's books. And she was like, I don't know why, but I bought this book and I, I know you just need to read it. I don't even think she had read it yet, but she was just like, it feels like you just need it. And that mm-hmm. changed everything for me. Like she is still one of my biggest teachers and I think it was the ING book. So again, it talked about her sobriety journey and her recovery journey And I was just very moved by it of just that connection between mind, body, spirit, recovery, connection with yourself. And so that kind of started just a forward motion for me Mm -hmm. in a different way. And then I spent the whole summer in the woods of Vermont, just like running around barefoot with a bunch of hippies from all over the world. And we would do yoga and eat plants and climb mountains and support these kids that you know, in their daily lives, they don't get to be accepted for themselves. Like they're so different and unique. And, you know, I heard this term the other day, neurospicy, like that, that was them, right? Like they were just different kids. And this was a place that they get to come and just be and be accepted for who they were. So, you know, even though 
I'm not diagnosed on the autism spectrum, that became a place for me to be who I was and be accepted for that fully. So for the first time, I think in a, a long time, during the summer of 2013, I just felt like this awakening in a sense because of all of that was unfolding. And that kind of continued. Yeah, I, have chills. <laughs> I know, I know. I always, I love that, just like that chapter of my life. Because again, like when I went back to school in the fall, it was just so different. Like I was different. And even I think friends were like, what happened to you this summer? And I was like, it was the best summer ever. I almost died. Like the last time some of my friends saw me, they were like, you were literally going to the hospital and just like didn't come back to campus. And then now you're back and you're a whole different person. So yeah, but tell me what that means in astrology land. Cause I know, obviously we've talked about it before, but what happened to me that year? Yeah. So in 2013, you were going through something that is called a Saturn square. And so for anyone who's listening, if you have any astrological knowledge, you may have heard of a Saturn return, which is that happens about every 28 to 30 years, depending on your birthday and retrogrades and things like that. But for Alyssa in 2013, it was a Saturn square, which means it was at Saturn transiting in the sky was 90 degrees to her natal Saturn. And what can happen when it comes to Saturn is if you are not following your purpose or you are not following the path you are supposed to, Saturn will come in and they will push you into your path. So, Alyssa, like, I love how you said you just knew that you weren't doing the right things and, like, your life just totally changed direction. I feel like it's such a good example of Saturn and Saturn can be very scary. You know, Saturn returns, people get so worked up about it. They get so scared, so anxious about it. But really, it's about surrendering yourself to Saturn, to your purpose, to what you're supposed to be doing, and just kind of like allowing the universe to take care of you. And, you know, I love even you said you almost died, but you still look so (laughs) fondly back on that time, I think, because it did put you like back on that path and you were able to go to camp, heal your inner child, Get back to your, you know, your creative self, get outdoors. You know, I just, I think it's so important. And, you know, that's what you were going through was your Saturn Mm -hmm. square. And we'll talk more about your Saturn return like a little bit later. (laughs) But usually there's also a a theme through all Mm -hmm. your Saturn aspects too. So every seven years, you'll go through a Saturn square similar to like a seven-year itch people call it so okay and there's usually themes and so you know the more you listen to Saturn when it comes around the easier it's gonna get (laughs) so Uh, you know for any listeners don't try to fight it because your Saturn it he will win Saturn will always win (laughs) and it will just be how difficult are you gonna make it so so yeah so that's what Alyssa was going through in 2013 is that Saturn square and really working on finding our purpose. And it was in her ninth house too. So, you know, how do you act with new knowledge? How do you receive it? Where do you find it? Really interested by like new spiritual and religious concepts really fits right in. So it's crazy when the astrology just makes sense. (laughs) It does. It all makes sense. It all makes sense. And I love the way that you just broke that down because again, we've talked about it so many times, but the way you just said it, I want to just 
bottle it up and carry it with me forever. <laughs> Cause again, it was, you know, I think, I think about camp and just how, you know, my body right before that was like shut down. Like you need to not do anything and shut down and listen. And then I went to camp and just found this authentic connection because I think before that I had just become this like party girl. Like that's who I founded my identity on, I think. And that's not who I am. Like that's not who I want to be. And that's not how I wanted to connect with people. But that's just whatever it was, coping for my depression and anxiety, coping for whatever. And so I was slowly killing my body, my con- like relationships, my connection to myself. And so I think that's definitely like one of the themes that came through that at that time was just that authentic connection. And, you know, I remember too, kind of continuing on that year with my Saturn square, right, was I returned back to school. And I think you had said something about like, higher knowledge and higher wisdom and and mm-hmm. being curious, right, about like, what's coming through. And I had heard about yoga before. And I had known about yoga. Obviously, I was a dancer for 12 years. So it's like that the two are pretty similar, not the same, obviously, but a lot of the other camp counselors practice yoga at camp. And so you know, I I dabbled in it here or there, but I remember when I came back the fall semester, I had a situationship going on that just was toxic and not healthy. And like, I would just go out to the bar every night and whatnot. And so I remember nickel night on Thursday nights, you know, a group of our friends would go to Huskies or Ted's and just, you know, drink a lot of alcohol and and do stupid stuff. And I just remember driving by campus and there was a yoga studio right off campus and something was just like, I just got to start going there instead. Like this is going to be my new Thursday night thing. And I remember looking at classes and there was a seven o'clock class every Thursday night. And I said, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to go. And I went and a lot of like my party friends per se were like, what the hell are you doing? What do you mean? You're not coming to nickel night. Like, what do you mean you're going to yoga? But then again, it just like that became such a pivotal moment. And I think because of all the stuff that was happening astrologically for me, like that was my guide and has been Mm -hmm. like yoga has been just such a resource for me to not just exploring like my own recovery in that way. And disclaimer, I'm not, you know, fully sober. I'm not, I wouldn't identify myself as someone who has that extreme form of addiction, but I did have a codependency with alcohol and, you know, it was really unhealthy. And so I think, you know, that summer and that year of 2013 was a very pivotal moment for me to kind of be faced with that and look at it and be curious and, you know, how do I pave a different path forward? Mm -hmm. And I think it's so common in college, especially. I know we're not, you know, breaking any like huge news to anyone listening, but I think in college, it's so normalized to, to drink, to smoke, to do drugs, to party, hook up, you know, all those things. It's so normalized that we don't really notice when it becomes a problem. And so, like you just said, like, yeah, you don't have a deep form of addiction, you know, where you need to be completely sober, but you needed to take a break. And I think it's something that at the time, you're right. Like it was kind of like, what is Alyssa doing? Why is she doing this? Like no one else was. You were the only person I knew who was like really taking time away. Now looking back, I'm like, oh, I should have joined her. You know, me and like, I know a hundred other people. We all should have stopped. What were we doing? But yeah, I just, I think it's so normalized. And so it's kind of scary to think about, you know, how codependent we are without even realizing Absolutely. And that's why I love Dr. Gabor Mate. 
at his work. So he is a doctor who focuses on addiction studies and a lot of great resources out there, books, TED Talks, YouTube videos, all of it. I'm going to manifest getting him on this podcast one day. You know, he talks a lot about the combination of trauma and addiction and how the two go hand in hand. And it's not necessarily, there's one really great TED Talk that I gave and we'll link it below, but he talks about how everyone has addiction. It doesn't have to look like alcohol. It doesn't have to look like drugs, right? It it could be coffee. It could be shopping. It could be TV, but we're all doing something that ends up disconnecting ourselves because of our trauma. And this could be big T trauma, little T trauma, but you know, for me, I'm still kind of processing what that is and, and why that, you know, came to be and manifest as, as such in me for college. But regardless of the root, I know it was there. Right. And I know that I was like Mm -hmm. picking up the alcohol and, you know, experimenting with other things because I had to run for myself, but, you know, with yoga and with that summer at, at camp and with being forced to slow down and just listen to my body, I was able to rebuild that connection and, and re-regulate my nervous system and reconnect to my intuition and, and do all of those important things that, you know, again, like you said, I think college is such a time that we think of like that Greek movie. What is that? Like party animal or whatever, <laughs> but just this like Americanized version of like, Hey, you go to college, you get fucked up. Like you don't go to college to get a degree. Like you go to party and, and be free and whatnot. And it's, I don't know, even to this day, I'll, I'll tell some people that like, I had a huge problem with alcohol in college. And I'll be like, no, you didn't like, this is college. And it's like, but no, I did. Like I did have a problem, you know, but Again, it's just so normalized and accepted that people don't recognize it in that way. Mm-hmm. And so then, like, you know, after college, so you've realized, you know, you're you're having this codependency relationship. You're really getting into yoga. So how did you continue cultivating that, I guess, after college? Yeah. So, you know, after I had ended up spending two summers in Vermont, So again, just like hiking mountains, practicing yoga, eating plants, being with like so many diverse people. And at that point, you know, I was like, I need to find a job doing this. Like this, I just need to soak this up and do summer camp all year long because it was just the best thing. Mm -hmm. And so one of my friends from summer camp, she went to school in Washington. I think it was in Seattle. And she had told me about, you know, wilderness therapy programs and therapeutic boarding schools and whatnot. And I was like, oh, this is literally camp you know, on crack, you just get to do it all year long, you know, a little bit different though. Not as fun, a little bit more stressful, but I applied to a therapeutic boarding school in Montana, as well as a wilderness therapy program in Colorado, got the job in Montana and was like, let's go. Like, so a couple of months after graduation, I moved out there and that's really, you know, my background, my final major was psychology and anthropology after many switches. So I knew that I wanted to do something in in that space and kind of incorporate more of camp into it too. And, And so I was really able to work again with just adventure therapists and therapists that had gone to a school called Neuropa in Boulder, Colorado. Some of them were like contemplative psychotherapists. Some of them had studied Buddhism and psychotherapy. Some of them were body-based movement psychotherapists. So it just really opened this whole window to me of the different components that can go into healing in that sense. 
And again, I, I had the coolest job in the world. I got to take our clients on hikes through Glacier National Park and bike rides through like the mountains of rural Montana. So it was just an amazing job. Definitely still very stressful because, you know, again, these clients have such a high clinical need. So they've dealt with so much trauma and their stories are just so profound, but still some of the bravest and most resilient individuals I'll ever be grateful to know. So I learned a lot from them and I think my path just continued to unfold from there, but also on a personal level too, because when I was out in Montana, I'd come home. I'd almost been there a year and my brother was graduating from high school. So I flew home and the two weeks that I was home, I had a cousin who overdosed and passed away. So he fell into a coma for about a week and unfortunately lost his life. And that was, I'm going to try not to get emotional about it, but that was just one of the most impactful moments of, again, facing that mirror of addiction and the impacts it has on so many people and especially in my family. So, Mm -hmm. you know, part of me, I think feeling so far away, being on the other side of the country than my family, I just had this like urgent pull to be closer back home because it did impact all of us in a lot of different ways. And I don't think any of us were able to cope with it accordingly. So at the end of the summer, I made the choice to kind of move back home. But as you know very well, I didn't want to go back to Connecticut just yet. So I ended up getting a job in New Hampshire, slept on Chelsea's couch for, well, the beanbag chair, very large beanbag chair (laughs) in her living room for about a month before I got my own little tiny cabin, um, the cheapest rent I could find. And I did group counseling up there, you know, just continued on that therapeutic journey. But that's when, again, I, I, because of my cousin's death, I was faced with like, okay, you're still drinking. You're still using that as a way to connect with people and and run from yourself, even though it's not as bad as it was in college. I healed from it a little bit, but I still had to confront that. So I ended up starting my yoga teacher training when I was in New Hampshire and it was a phenomenal program. I loved it. And I loved all the people I met. And again, that reconnected me to myself. I started building that deeper connection, but I also realized how depressed I was too and and just how unwell I was. So that's when I was like, okay, it's time to actually go home. Like I was so close to my family. I would go home, you know, at least once or twice a month to be with them and and I'll be together, but it still wasn't enough. So I ended up coming home. I got myself into therapy. I continued doing yoga and I went fully sober for, I think it was like six months. And to be honest, it was really hard to talk to my family about that because we are Irish. So (laughs) if anyone knows like Irish people, you know how heavily they drink. So that's how my family has always connected is just through drinking and and having parties growing up. And so when I came home and I was like, I'm not going to drink, you know, I just remember my parents looking at me like, why is that an issue? Like, you don't have an issue with drinking, right? (laughs) And everyone is just very confused, but they were so accepting of it once it settled down a bit. And again, it tested my friendships in different ways as well. And I think, you know, this is a market for being friends with Chelsea, but like Chelsea was one of the people who was like, okay, whatever. Like, it's not that big of a deal, you know? And like a couple of my other friends are the same way and it didn't change those friendships, but the friendships it did change again, it helped me recognize, you know, 
that wasn't an authentic connection, you know, and that, that wasn't something that I wanted to continue on then if, if someone couldn't accept me if I wasn't drinking. Right. So yeah, I mean, to kind of speed up the story a little bit, I continued to work in the field of of mental health. I continued doing other trainings. I'm now certified in yoga for 12 step. I'm a certified recovery coach as well. I just finished my master's in marriage and family therapy. And, you know, as everything continues to unfold, I think, you know, it continues to be a test. About two years ago, I, I did have another cousin on the other side of my family pass away from a fatal overdose as well. So Again, it was just a terrible loss and and an eye-opener of this is the reality of our world right now. And I know it's not just in my family, but it's now my responsibility to heal it for future generations and to just make that part of who I am and, and the support and services that I give to other people. So, you know, as I continue on of figuring out where my future is, I think it just incorporates all of this, right? It incorporates, you know, being authentic, you know, continuing to work on myself, continuing to build deeper connections with my family and friends and really just looking at, you know, whether it's alcohol or my fancy jokes that my new addiction is coffee, you know, <laughs> what am I using to like run away from myself and how can I, you know, embody that in a way and, and come back into my body and use that as my greatest gift in a sense. Mm-hmm. And I think you said something really important too, like about when you were up in New Hampshire and you were still drinking. And even though you were drinking less, it was still the intention behind it was to like run away and cope. And I think that's something I know I've been working on like the last year or so is really looking at like, why do I drink and why did I pick up the drink and what is it giving to me? And I think it's really important to just like kind of highlight that again, that you know, we're allowed to drink and we're allowed to smoke weed and we're allowed to do certain things, but but really understanding the intention behind them and not letting it control you, but you control it, mm-hmm. I think is really important. And I also just want to say thank you for sharing about your family and your cousins. Loss is yeah. difficult. So thank you for sharing. But I also want to just like also applaud you for turning it into something so beautiful. I've seen how you help so many people you know, so I want to thank you for that too. Thank you. You're so sweet. Yeah. I mean, I I think again, kind of like you said, it's like questioning yourself and remaining curious. Is this drink going to serve me in any way? And also too, you know, for me, like I said, I'm not completely sober. I think there, even since a couple of years ago, there have been months like this past July, I was like, okay, I'm taking it off the month. I'm just not going to drink because that's where I'm at right now. Right. But knowing your body enough and knowing where you're at, because if you're anxious, depressed, having a really tough week and you go for that drink, that's that's not good, right? Like you're going to it to solve the problem, but that's not actually solving the problem and it's probably going to make it worse. But mm-hmm. if you enjoy the taste or, or just want to enjoy one drink or one glass of wine, right? Like no one's going to stop you. But I also want to highlight that you know, addiction and recovery in any form, whether again, it's alcohol, substances, coffee, shopping, whatever, it's all on a spectrum. So there are people who legitimately cannot drink another day in their life, cannot use a substance another day in their life because of chemical imbalances or trauma or whatever it be. But then there's other sides of the spectrum where it's like, okay, we can find that healthy balance too. So I just want to put that out there as a disclaimer, because for those listening, you know, 
my journey may not look like yours, right? But it, it's really, again, about coming back into your body and, and having the tools necessary to keep your nervous system regulated and stay in tune with your intuition so you can consciously make those choices and they be for your best interest and your wellness and, and not be something that you regret the next morning. Mm-hmm. That all makes sense. And so I know you've talked a little bit about depression and anxiety. So what was that journey like for you? Yeah, so definitely still a journey. <laughs> I actually just started working with a new naturopath who I adore. For those in Connecticut, if you want to DM me on Instagram, I'll give you all of her information because she's also an acupuncturist. I first went to her for that and I've had acupuncture done in the past and it's always been profound, but this was like nothing else before. So she put the needles in my right side and, you know, sometimes you can feel a little bit of tension or uncomfortability, especially the first time. And and that's kind of how it was. Nothing crazy. She put one needle on my left side and I literally just started sobbing hysterically. And all she said was, okay, there it is. And she just turned the lights off and was like, I'm just going to leave you here for a second. And I could not sobbing for like five minutes. And afterwards, when we were processing it, I had realized like I was holding so much depression and anxiety in, but I was in this hustle state. That's why my right side, my masculine side was okay. My left side, the fluid side, the feeling side was not, right? So I think it's it continues to be a journey. But what she's also helped me realize is my heart condition might actually be tied to a genetic mutation that is probably from my family. We're still like uncovering some of that too, but that kind of connects everything. It connects anxiety and depression. It connects my gut stuff. It connects my heart stuff. So, you know, it it really is, I've been trying to take this integrative approach because I've been in therapy for many years at this point. And, you know, I am a therapist too. And so I have a big space in my heart for talk therapy, but that's not it, right? It's not the only end all be all. So really being able to figure out, okay, what about my health? How does that tie into things? What about, you know, being a female and and having my period? Like, how does my cycle impact that as well? And how can I tap into that? My sister is big on cycle syncing and eating certain seeds. So we'll have to have her on to talk about that at some point. But yeah, I think, you know, it's, I still deal with a lot of anxiety. I still deal with, you know, depression here and there. But I think, again, it's just being in tune with my body and listening to it and not just thinking, okay, I have to put on my big girl pants and go to work today and and do all these things and accomplish all these goals. It's really slowing down and tending to what I need. And, you know, I've tried other things like CBD and, and microdosing mushrooms and whatnot. And again, these are all things that, are not the end all be all and don't work for everyone. Right. So I'm trying on different things um, with the support of professionals in order to figure out what my body needs and what I need at this moment might not be what I need in a year from now. So mm-hmm. just still trying to, you know, befriend it. Cause again, we'll have to do an IFS internal family systems episode at one point too, but the founder of that model, his name is Sick Schwartz, and he says, there's no bad parts, right? So my anxiety and depression aren't bad. It's just how do I nurture them and give them what they need to be able to thrive and remain resilient. Mm-hmm. Yep. And anyone listening, like in astrology, it's called the observer, you know, where really there's no bad parts in your chart, which I think is so important. And I think a huge part of mental health and 
it's just really like accepting ourselves, right? And that Mm -hmm. there are parts we love and parts we hate. And at the end of the day, like we have to live with all these parts. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) so how do we accept them? And it's not easy. And it's like you said, a journey that will never end probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. But on that note too, you know, I was, I was doing some like yoga training studying yesterday and I was going through like a review of the chakras and this reminded me of astrology so much, just the way that they phrased it and how, you know, there's in astrology, Chelsea always says there's a high load and low road to everything. Right. And our goal is to take the high road. Our goal is to learn from our Saturn returns, remain curious and how the path is unfolding, reflect on it so we can pick up on the themes and use it to raise our vibration and raise our overall well-being. And with the chakras too, same thing, you know, we can have them balanced and they can be great, or we can have them unbalanced and, you know, the high and low road is there too. And so again, it's remaining the observer of your own experience to be able to say, oh, this is where I'm at right now. Let's take the high road. Let's kind of choose this path instead and do what I need to do to get into balance and use this to my advantage rather than you know, just let it happen to me and and unconsciously go throughout it. Yeah. I feel like putting words to it always helps. Like I know, at least for me, like astrology was kind of that turning point for me of being able to say like, you know, being a double Aquarius, like you're a weirdo. So like, all right, I'm just going to own it. Like, I'm going to stop fighting it. Like, I'm just going to let my freak flag fly, you know, (laughs) like, and so I feel like it's kind of exactly what you're describing too. Like if you can notice it and recognize it, then you can start to heal it. But if you don't even know it's happening or you don't even know where to look, how are you supposed to, you know, do that? How are you supposed to heal? Right. But it takes right. a lot of work and you have to look in the right place too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's the chakras or astrology or internal family systems or whatever it is, you know, there's so many different places you can look and different things are going to resonate with different people. So. Yes. Yeah. I think that's and important that- too. Absolutely. And on that too, just the whole foundation of our podcast, like being curious, right? Because again, what works right now is going to guide you to a certain space, right? And then you might need to be curious and find something else, right? It's not a one size fits all and you are continuing to evolve as a person. So it's always going to change based on who you are in that chapter of your life. But to go back on a personal, did, when are you dyeing your hair blue? Because we talked about oh. that, I think too. <laughs> It's blue right now. Oh my gosh, yay. (laughs) I don't know if you can really tell, but... (laughs) No, you'll have to take it down later. But for those listening, Chelsea is boss at dyeing her hair and looking good. I could not personally do it and look good with it, but Chelsea can like pull off purple, pull off blue. It's amazing. So again, when you step into your authenticity and like Chelsea said, let your freak flag fly, like you just embody this lightness, you know, like you start to shine differently and, and in the best way. So, you know, for those other double Aquariuses out there, go dye your hair blue or purple or orange, whatever color you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> Change it all the time. That's what I do. Yes. Every six months, it's different. <laughs> I love it. So good. So Alyssa, back to you. Yeah. So how was your recent Saturn return? The one that <laughs> you are still going through, but let's talk about that. Yeah. So it's so funny because I think it was this time last year, a family friend started doing shamanic Reiki on me and I broke down and was like, I should not be in grad school right now. Like, why am I doing this? I don't want to do it at all. And she was so supportive and was like, no, you need to continue too. So I think, you know, the beginning 
of my Saturn return. I forget the dates that it started. I think it was like early this year, but it, it was very much just this like crumbling down. Like for those of you who don't know, going to school for your master's in marriage and family therapy is the most financially draining thing ever because you have to do two full-time unpaid internships. So it was a super frustrating that like I had to go four days a week, drive an hour away to do this unpaid internship and try to work on top of that. And my classes didn't seem like they aligned with just my interests in this field and whatnot. So it just felt like I was coming to the end of grad school finally, but I was like, why am I wasting my time doing this? I just don't want to do it anymore. But I continued, I went on, you know, it was fine. And all the meanwhile, I was going through some like personal stuff that, you know, I'm going to keep private for now, but maybe one day we'll, we'll <laughs> dive into it. So that was a big, just like, again, burning to the ground to rebuild though, right? Again, it's it's always about rebuilding and, and redefining. And so when I graduated in May, I just felt so tired and so burnt out. And so just like spiritually drained, emotionally drained, lost, like not sure what I wanted to do. And I was super fortunate that, you know, when I applied to a ton of jobs, I got every offer, but none of them seemed aligned at all. And so I initially took the one that I thought I would have the most autonomy and freedom over of kind of creating my own form of therapy, if you will, and in service and support to others. But then the week of my birthday, when I was supposed to get my contract, it was actually on my birthday, my fiance had taken me on a trip to Shenandoah National Park. And I got a call from the woman who was supposed to be my new boss, didn't answer it because I was in the middle of the mountains hiking. And I was like, I'll call her back when I get home. And when I called her back, I found out that God, I didn't answer that phone call because she couldn't afford to take me on and she wasn't able to offer me a position, which is fine. Like that, it's it's no shade to her. I know being a business owner is tough, but I was like, okay, cool. So I just declined like 10 other positions to work for this woman. And now I'm graduated with a no job and no income. So what the hell do I do? But again, things have to unravel as they should, right? So then... Mm -hmm. I had a friend who I actually met through Instagram because we were both virtual assistants for therapists in private practice. So again, a, a flexible job that I was able to do is mostly social media management. And she was also based in Connecticut and was like, oh, hey, my company's hiring. You should apply here. And it was in the addiction space. So I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. The pay was a little bit better than most of the other offers. So I was like, great. But to not put any shade out there. It was just not the right fit for me at all. Again, it just felt too containing and too old narrative of mental health system. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be a part of something new and something forward thinking because our mental health system as it is around the country and even in the state of Connecticut, it's terrible. Like it, it's just, it's not good. And again, we need to have more mind-body connection. We need to have more awareness. We need to have more education, more support, more opportunities. So I just, I felt completely depleted. I did not feel empowered in that position at all, but it was a test, right? Like my Saturn return was testing me and being like, we're going to make you so uncomfortable until you realize mm -hmm. your worth, until you fight for it and realize exactly what you want to do. And so when I had lived and worked in Montana, there was an equine therapist. Her name is Alex Muffson. She's a huge expander for me. We're going to have her on the podcast in a couple episodes, which will be great. 
but her and I always joked when we worked together, oh, we're going to start our own wilderness therapy program one day. And lo and behold, she started her own therapy company. It's technically a coaching company, but she hires clinicians and we work as clinical growth coaches. And her whole foundation is on hiring badasses who are ready to change the name of mental health and really go out there and genuinely support people because we are in, still to this day, such an institutionalized market and field and service and industry. And her whole foundation is like, let's get clients and families home. Let's not institutionalize them anymore. And let's get them actions to actually make changes because so often I'll hear therapists be like, oh yeah, I've had the, I've worked with this client for 12 years. And it's like, you shouldn't be working with a client for 12 years, right? Like you should help them make those sustainable changes that they don't need you anymore. Like we genuinely want to work ourselves out of a job. So, you know, I, I messaged her cause I was like, oh, I wonder if she's hiring. Like, I don't know. I was just in this terrible position and she was like, yeah, I actually am. Like, did you see my most recent Instagram post? And like literally five minutes before that, she had posted like, hey, come come work with us. And I was like, okay, this feels too good to be true, right? She was like, what are you doing on Monday? And it was July 4th. And you know, we have a big family party every year at my aunt's house. And we kind of honor one of my cousins that passed away. And again, a kismet thing, like 4th of July, you know, connecting to my cousin and everything. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to this thing you know, later on, but I have the whole morning free. And she was like, great, let's do this time. And, you know, we interviewed that day, interviewed with her executive director the day after. And she was like, when can you start for us? And so it was perfect. It was just, it literally felt like it fell into place so naturally. And it's because I think I I stepped into my power. I asked for, Mm -hmm. you know, someone who was going to see my worth and see my value. And even when I got my contract, like the second agreement says like clinical badassery, like you are going to be a badass in this field and you're going to put like your best effort forward to changing the name of the game. And it's just been such a gift and just so amazing to have her as well as other like senior clinicians on the team, just look at me and say like, you are a badass and you're doing this. And not just that, but also have them be like, what do you want to get out of this field? And like, what do you want to do with your life? And I just had my manifestation, my quarter four manifestation meeting with Alex last Friday. And, you know, we really broke down like, what lights you up? And and what do I want to get creative with? And I told her and I was very honest with her. And she's like, okay, let's get you to do that. Like, that's what we're going to do now. And it's just, it's so cool to have someone who again sees your value but is also trusting in you of like if that lights you up then like let's have that be a part of our journey together so all that to say I think my Saturn return this time has really just been about again like carving my own path because I in the beginning I was like okay well I have to be a marriage and family therapist and I have to work in a nonprofit agency and I have to do like the whole nine to nine schedule and have 50 clients on my caseload and, and it just feels so stale and constricting and also have people tell you, you can't do this and you have to use this model and and you can't say this and you can't do that. Right. But, you know, as things started to fall apart and I tried my best to remain curious and remain the observer, I took that step back and realized, okay, I need to step into my power and I need to step into my worth. And the second I did that, everything fell into place. And you know, now I'm in this position that I can feel like I'm genuinely making a difference in people's lives and and can witness that firsthand. And 
yeah, it's been great. I mean, I think there's still a couple little lessons looming that I'm still working on because I don't think it's over. I think I still have one more month in Saturn return. So I'm sure there's going to be a curveball thrown at me, but we'll get there. (laughs) I'll keep you guys posted. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. And, you know, something about just anybody who has Saturn in Aquarius, something that, you know, Alyssa and I both do, really anybody who's probably in the age range of like 20 to 30 right now has Saturn in Aquarius. Something that we are really meant to learn is to have that ability to like stand our ground, to know what you want and move forward with it, no matter what gets in your way. You know, that's the very Aquarian way, very forward thinking, very like, you know, in your example, how stale the mental health institution is right now. And like, so how can you change it? And you tried it, you went to a more traditional route and you didn't like it. And then look at that, like as soon as you started to really like step into your worth and realize like this isn't what I wanted, that divine timing of somebody you know is hiring and is so supportive of you. I think that's also just so important that not just you, I know other people who work in social working, like through social work or mental health field and just like the burnout that I see everybody experience and like, you know, not getting to help people because you're so caught up with paperwork and just running call to call that you can't really put any personalized time into your clients. Like, I just think that having Alex, it just really does seem like she's redefining like what it looks like to be in the mental health space. And I just, I think that's so important. And I, I've seen you really light up through it in the oh, last few months, <laughs> which has been great. So Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Cause like, again, within the mental health field, I think it's, I gave a presentation the other day to a parent support group and, you know, we were talking about the difference between therapy and coaching and our space at least. And, you know, it, it, I want to emphasize, like, I'm not a life coach. It's not those things we see on Instagram and no shame to the, them at all. Like they're, they're just in a whole different space, but mm-hmm. with clinical coaching, we're really sure. I'm going to validate you, but I'm also going to turn around and tell you, okay, now go try this right? And go do this with your body and go use this tool and technique. Because again, our goal isn't that they're with us forever. Like I want to get an email in a year from now being like, Hey, I'm doing so well, right? Like I don't want you to still be in sessions with me. So Mm -hmm. it's, we're really supporting people and not just validating their experience and processing it, but also turning around and turning it into their superpower and turning it into their strengths and, and remaining resilient in that sense. And yeah, it's just, I think the work-life balance is so much better. I wasn't feeling well the other day and I forget how Alex had found out and she, we use Voxer, it's a voice messaging and texting app and we use it with our clients too, but she boxed me and was like, what do you need? How are you feeling? Go take a break, like go do this. And she's just so great in that sense of like work-life balance and we're not going to go through the whole burnout cycle. So it's just really empowering to have that in that sense. And yeah, we're going to have her on to talk about all things amazing that she created with Aspen Growth Coaching, but I'll save that for another day. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And then to piggyback off of the Aquarius Saturn. So, you know, how are you coming to terms with who you are and what you want? It can be scary to be different. It can be scary to want something else than what you went to school for necessarily and, you know, different than what you expected. So how do you cope with that? And how are you moving forward and getting excited about it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, something that I'm working on in my own personal work right now is that confidence, because I think for so long, I didn't 
feel like I could step into my power because I lack that bit of confidence. So I think I'm really stepping into myself by just owning who I am, right? Like kind of, like you said before, like letting my freak flag show in different ways and and being able to tune into my body and really working on healing my connection with my intuition so that I can just be guided by my most aligned self. And when I'm able to do that, then my path unfolds as it shall and, and everything kind of falls into place. But I think, again, you're always from... I guess I'm an ex-therapist now, but kind of still a therapist, but from a clinical coach's perspective, like you're always going to be changing. There's always going to be stuff to work on, right? Like as long as you want to continue to better yourself, there's always things to step into. But yeah, I think I, I feel like I'm just trusting the universe more and allowing myself to intentionally step into what I love and what I appreciate. And by doing that, I think my connection with myself is deeper. My connection with other people is deeper. And my love for this world just becomes bigger and bigger where, you know, that depression is kind of slowly settling away and that anxiety is slowly settling away. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that's a core in like to be magnetic too. So anyone listening, if you don't know to be magnetic, we'll probably do like a whole episode on it. Alyssa and I <laughs> are very <laughs> obsessed with it, but basically it's like a manifestation tool. and. Mm-hmm to put it really simply. Uh, But I feel like that's something that they really focus on is like creating space in yourself. And like by creating that space, like then you allow new things to come in that you didn't even realize. And so it's not just trying to like bring everything to you. It's like let go of what isn't serving you anymore, which can be really difficult. And you have to get really honest with yourself sometimes. But Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something like you're working on, which I think is great. And then you know, as soon as you decide like this isn't serving me anymore, like something always comes along to fill the void. And Mm -hmm. I would say just in my experience, it's almost always more positive (laughs) than Mm -hmm. whatever it was you were so scared to let go of. Yes. Yeah. And it goes back to that whole saying of like, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And that's what I think I'm really practicing these days. Mm Mm-hmm. And to have the conversation with the universe, just like we have to deepen our conversation with our bodies, like we have to deepen our conversations with the universe. Because when we tell the universe, like no, and turn something down as those who do to be magnetic work, like when you go through a test and say no to something, then the universe is like, okay, here's your gift. Like, here's the thing that you actually are calling in, right? So yeah, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no and and kind of keep walking until you find that hell yes. Mm-hmm. So I think my last few questions for you are just around curiosity. So obviously we started this podcast with the intention of being curious. So what is keeping you curious right now? Yeah. So I think, you know, everything functional medicine right now as I go through this like possible genetic mutation journey and just having my acupuncturist, I think that doctor, she's phenomenal. And she's a trained acupuncturist and trained naturopathic doctor. So the other NDs that I've seen in the past, they're very anti-Western medicine, but she is very inclusive of all of it. She actually has the same cardiologist that I do. And so she's very much like, we're going to collaborate on this and we're going to figure it out for you. So I think just how everything can have a seat at the table, right? And how everyone can kind of come together and work together is keeping me curious right now. Um, manifestation and kind of the to be magnetic work will always keep me curious of just like uncovering my past and my subconscious beliefs. Stuff like epigenetics and, you know, things like that are always interesting. 
But I think just, again, that my energy, you know, we had an interview with Hallie Bailey that'll be coming out possibly before this one, maybe after she's going through a breathwork training right now that I'm super curious about. And again, just how do you integrate all of it, right? With genuine intention and curiosity to not let it feel overwhelming, but just like, again, breathwork has a space, energy work has a space, all of that has a space. And so I'm kind of just dabbling as my curiosities pop up. I'm like, oh, I'm going to read this article today, or oh, I'm going to try part of this book today. So just really allowing myself to have fun and be playful within all of it. I love that. And I think that's so important. Like, I know I get caught up in like, oh, I started a book, so I need to finish it. Or like, oh, I signed up for this training. Like, I need to do it. And like, but it ebbs and flows. And so like, mm-hmm. sometimes you feel really called to do something. And sometimes you don't feel as called to do something. So I think that's so important to like, remember that and keep it in mind. Mm-hmm. And so lastly, what does curiosity mean to you? And why is it important? Yeah, so I think, again, you know, a lot of the podcasts I've listened to, the ones that I love the most, they're always curious with their listeners. They're not the ones that are like lecturing people. And I think in grad school, you know, I went through this phase of being like, oh, I know the answer to this. And oh, I know this answer. And oh, I, I can write the best paper for this, right? But the second I realized I was doing that and kind of slowed down a bit and remained curious was when I stopped with the performance anxiety and stopped with the traditional like academia of it of just like oh I can have fun with this and I can absorb new things and think of it from different perspectives and it didn't feel as rigid and tight and constricting but it felt so much more fluid and I think you know when I can remain curious I can have more fun and be more playful and see different perspectives and just step into a whole different vibration of who I am and you know, I think that's why it's it's so important to me. And I think it's when I'm allowed to do that or I give myself permission to do that and I step into that curiosity space and the observer and all of that, that's when I've learned the most and that's when I've had the most fun in, in research and play and exploration. And so, yeah, I mean, I think curiosity is one of the biggest tools that we can have in our toolbox for the game of life, as we should call it. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a beautiful answer. And I think hopefully one that everyone resonates with. I guess uh, before we sign off, Alyssa, I just want to thank you. I don't have any other questions, but is there anything else that you wanted to share? Um, Not now, because I think we'll have so much more time to, to talk <laughs> and process with people. But yeah, I mean, I just want to put that out there that if you are on a journey or resonated to my journey, you know, feel free to message me on Instagram, my email will be down below too. And, you know, I'd be happy to kind of talk with anyone who is trying to figure out their path and figure out, you know, how do I even get started in this space? So yeah, my inbox is open, my emails open send your messages my way. Let's connect. Awesome. And yeah, like Alyssa said, email her. Her email is Alyssa at the moon in your mind.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram at the moon in your mind. You can sign up for our newsletter by visiting our website, the moon in your mind.com. And then you can also follow Alyssa at hey underscore Alyssa Ray. And you can follow me, Chelsea at winter astrology. And, you know, we'll keep coming out with episodes for you guys. We're having a blast doing this. So thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone. See you next time.